The following is brought to you by Total Seal Piston Rings, the leader in ring seal technology. TotalSeal.com Hello and welcome to another edition of Hidden Horsepower presented by Total Seal Piston Rings. We have got a tremendous episode for you. You are going to love it. We're going to dive into the world of the Hemi and the Chevy and the Constant Aviation Factory Stock Showdown. But I can't do anything without my co-host, Mr. Keith Jones, the Director of Technical Sales at Total Seal Piston Rings. Keith, how are you? I am doing great, Joe. Uh as mentioned a little earlier, enjoying some you know fall-like weather out here in Phoenix. It's a you know little over a hundred degrees if you call that fall. Uh, so we're you know we're just enjoying the weather. So nice and cool, great. and wonderful out there in Arizona. All right, let's get right into it, Keith, because I feel like we have. Uh, in many ways, royalty in the engine building business, we have got, I reached out to David Barton, fresh off his U.S. Nationals win in Factory Showdown, fresh off his Maple Grove win, and he's like, I want my dad to come on too. We've got Ray Barton and David Barton together on the show. Just tell us a little bit about them before we bring them in. Well, I mean, you know, what do I need to say? I mean, these guys are legends. I mean, you know, David, I mean, look at his accomplishments. Look at how many races he's won what he's done, what he's achieved. Uh, you know, you talk about him as a driver, but what some people do and don't know what, you know, you guys, an EFI super tuner uh, and, you know, great thinkers. And then you've got Ray, Mr. Hemi. I mean, how many shootouts have they won? You know, it just, the accolades go on and on and on. And it is truly a father and son team. Uh, I mean, these guys, what they do, what they accomplish, how hard they work, uh, these guys really, you can't believe the amount of time, the amount of hours they put in and how they find every little bit. The hidden it's horsepower. Incredible pair. They find the hidden horsepower. So without further ado, let's get right to it. From Ray Barton Racing Engines, Ray and David Barton, welcome to Hidden Horsepower, gentlemen. How are you both? Uh, I'm fine. <laughs> Great, Joe. Thanks for inviting us. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm losing my voice, but. All right, David, you're going to have to carry the, the ball a little bit for your dad, but I got to ask him first, though. We'll wear him out at the beginning, Ray. Uh, number one, the Ray Barton Racing Engines logo, the name. It's one of the most well-known, I believe, in drag racing because of your success at the Dodge Hemi Challenge four in a row a couple of years ago with Jimmy Daniels. You're synonymous with drag racing, but how did it start? Like, where did you get hooked Give me a, an early memory that made you decide, man, I want to tear apart an engine and figure out why it works or how it works. What's your origin story? Um, I used to just like playing around with anything mechanical, I guess. So when I was probably 15, I would I lived up in Manitoba, Canada. I would hitchhike to the bison dragways, and my father always had Mopars, so of course I... Ended up being a Mopar guy, and I loved the Hemis, and never really liked 340s or 440s, but I always loved Hemis, and that became my passion, I guess. And you're synonymous with that. Those engines, they became the you know the top fuel platform, but that Dodge Hemi Challenge, you were all over that right away. And I mentioned Jimmy, but many others have carried your engines to, to victory. Um, what is it about the Hemi? Is it the architecture, just the fact that it was a great design? Um, I just thought it was a great-looking engine <laughs> to start out with, and um, they stayed together. All the guys with big-block Chevrolets that I knew always broke rockers, and you know, all the motors had a lot of problems, which the Hemi didn't. Well, it, it was built as a real race engine. They never put a Hemi in a dump truck or anything. Which, Keith, you know, that, they did with Chevrolet motors and stuff. But, Keith, that's an excellent um, point right there, right? <laughs> Ray is nailing it. Uh, uh, I know he, got, he got a chuckle out of me on that one, and that's absolutely the truth. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, going down the street, loading trash into the back, got your Hemi in the front, you know. Uh, you say absolutely, the 366, 427, uh, well-known Chevy, you know, dump truck motors, but uh, no Hemis there. Nope. And it is a good-looking engine, by the way. Uh, it's big. It is uh, it is big. And you became the specialist, though, so much so that that carries through to today. You haven't really been some engine builders get I don't want to say get stuck, but get stuck in the era that they start. 
and you, Ray, have been able to advance beyond with these modern Hemis. You got your hands on them as well. That tells me that you've been curious to keep up with the technology and all. What do you, you know, what do you think about the evolution of that engine that you're such a specialist on? You mean, you mean the 426 Hemi? Well, not the original, but even now, I know Ray Barton Racing Engines has got some packages for the modern stuff. Yeah, we were involved with that stuff. I kind of worked a little bit with some of the guys at Mopar back in 98 or 99. That was supposed to be a uh, a NASCAR truck motor. It never, ever was supposed to be a street engine. And <clears throat> I worked with a couple of those guys on that project. And then when they submitted that engine to NASCAR, the minute they heard Hemi, it got, it got canned. So that that's how that thing actually be. That was for Jeep Eagle, and that's how that engine actually came about. But it definitely was not ever supposed to be a street engine. I don't think too many people really know that. But and that's why um, they sub- subscribe to the podcast, Ray, because you guys like you drop nuggets like that. Thank you for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're gonna try to we're gonna try to save your voice a little bit. I know what that's like. Believe me. So let's bring on David now, David. Your dad, I guess he's the one who brought you into the deal and you followed in your father's footsteps. You've certainly made your own world, though, with the factory showdown engines. You were building engines before that, but you took it in a different direction away from the Hemi. Tell us about that. Yeah, I mean, he he definitely had some big shoes to fill there. So growing up, it was always like, man, how many I compete with what he's doing? But um, to be honest, once... Once all the modern cars came out, you know, we started running the 2010 Dodge Drag Pack uh, back in 2010, and uh, that kind of opened up a lot of doors for me because I was, you know, I, I grew up working on carburetors, but I was way more interested in fuel injection stuff because you just do so much more with it, and I always loved data as a kid, and uh, so it, you know, like I said, it, it it opened up the doors in so many ways, so I can dive in there and just find so much more hidden horsepower you know <laughs> it, it's um uh, you know we kind of got into a late um uh, you know the in 08 the mustangs came out with the cobra jets and then in 09 the dodges came out with their thing and then um you know we're, we're waiting on our chassis to be built and in, in 2010 i think it was we went to indy and just smashed everyone's uh records there uh, i think in a stock automatic we ran a 967 we actually had people like ready to kill us like literally in the pits because we ran so damn fast and i honestly didn't even know we're we were even going to go that fast i was just doing what i knew how to do and i was trying to win the race so uh years later we transitioned into the into the chevy stuff and here we are today i mean we're um you know just trying to move forward with the business and keep up with the times as of recording, for everybody out there listening, and hopefully you click subscribe and rate and review and all the podcast stuff, uh, David has come is come off two victories in Factory Showdown. He has to show up and stage at the final race to lock up the championship. And you know, racers, we're all very superstitious, so we're not going to talk about that anymore. Okay, David, we will talk about the U.S. Nationals because that is tremendous. But first, I want Keith Jones, our technical expert, to jump in here for the Bartons, Keith. I wonder, I know you guys work together, but the creative process, finding ring seal, finding hidden horsepower, Keith, jump in with a question. Well, you know, working with Ray and David both, I mean... Again, you know, the tolerances that they want to hold is forced us to do things on the rings. I mean, these guys, I mean, building, you know, the the, the plethora of different engines they do. I mean, it, you know, if they're running three tenths, four tenths clearance, uh, you know, that might be loose. I mean, Ray and David push us. You know, they really want the stuff spot on. They want it as good as we can get it. Uh, and I think that goes into part of their, you know, a big part of their engine building philosophy. Uh, they don't want to leave any stones unturned. Uh Last time I was there, I mean, I saw stuff that they were doing, you know, with old school Hemis. I, you know, I apologize to the listeners for, you know, Gen 1, Gen 2, Gen 3. I kind of get lost in all that. But, you know, good old 426s. And I'm watching stuff they're doing to these things. And, my God, they're turning these things 10,000 RPM with conventional valve train. And, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing what they've done. And, and at the same time, employing all the modern tools. I mean, you know, 
a lot of guys talk engine dyno. Well, these guys, engine dyno, they spin Tron. You know, they've got hub dynos. I mean, you know, they have, the quest for knowledge is never ending. So, you know, they, they push us to do things ring-wise uh, that, you know, that I'll say F1 does. You know, it's like, hey, well, how, what can we do here? What, you know, what's the thing we can do? Can we do this? Can we do that to the ring? Can we add this to the ring? What's the next feature? What's the next benefit we can add? What about a better coating? So they're, you know, you know, and that's just the one thing on rings. We work on cylinder finishes, you know, gapless technology, conventional technology, uh, you know, just every, you know, every feature we can offer uh, there, you know, and one of the great things is, is they're always willing to try something. You know, we come up, like you say, you know, we're, we're brainstorming ideas. What about this? What about that? Yeah, let's try it. Send me a set. So it, it's great working with them because they're always willing to try you know, to push that boundary, to push that envelope. My question would be, you know, and, and this I'll save one of them towards the end of it, but you know, the, you know, going into the Copos, uh, you know, interesting that you guys, you know, went from the Hemi into the Copa. Did you see an advantage with that engine platform for you to make you switch from one to the other? Or is it just kind of a, you know, an interest, you know, something that interested you? What made you guys go down the path of the Copo? Well, our, one of our top customers, Gary Wolkowitz, uh, you know, as, as you know, he's been running the Hemi for many years and, you know, one day we're at Englishtown and they're running one of the factory showdowns and he, he really fell in love with the, with the Chevrolet Copo. And he's like, Hey, I, I want to get one. I actually tried to talk him out of the supercharged deal. It's like, well, why don't you get like a 427 or something, be a little more your speed. He's like, no, I want you to drive it. He's like, I'll get it. You drive it and do what you got to do and, and do your thing. So that's how we kind of made the jump there. And, uh, and at the time Mopar didn't have any supercharged stuff. We we're begging them for the 2015, supercharged engines and they didn't have them you know so we you know in 2015 we, we ran the na motor and uh dominated with that thing but then you know it, it was an easy jump because gary was nice enough to get us involved and help us campaign the deal and so that's how that all got started and then uh you know so getting involved with a supercharged engine really intrigued me you know i mean we built them for guys over the years but we never really raced them hands-on all the time like we are now so um but but over time i realized how similar they are to everything else we build you know they're all you know engines are you know all pretty much the same thing they all like little minor tweaks here and there you know like different ring packages as you know but um <clears throat> i think we're very successful right, right out the gate with them because all the same same converter same gearing type of thing and you know, just how to tune them. Everything about them was very similar, so it wasn't like a, a drastic change. It's not like I went to go race a F1 car or something. And Ray, what was your side of the deal as someone who had been involved with one platform for a while? You had done other things, but been known for one platform. When that idea came to your desk, were you all in initially or was there any apprehensiveness to like, Oh, oh supercharged sure. factory cars. I don't know. No, I was, I was into it, uh, for no other reason that Chevrolet actually had parts you could buy. You couldn't get anything from Mopar. Everything was just permanent back order. And, um, uh, that was a new challenge. I know, uh, somebody from Chevrolet told David after the fact that, they were happy that we were going to give it a shot, and they hoped within a year we'd figure out how to make them run. And I think we got the car in November, and the very first race we went to, to was Gainesville, and we're number one qualifier and won the race. <laughs> that was pretty funny. But... Ahead of schedule. So then, yeah, and then I guess all the guys that were racing them had to get their ass in gear and figure out how to make some more power. I was going to say, so naturally, all the Mopar people just hated, hated my guts. <laughs> coming, coming out of the gate, and I mean, we, we had the time of our lives. It was so cool because in 2016, when they officially were handing out the big Wally to win a national event for the factory showdown, I felt like it was 1970 racing pro stock. I mean, just the buzz in the air. There was nothing like it. I mean, it was it was so cool. And then to walk away winning the Actually, we won the first three out of four races that year, and it was just it was just the best time, man. And um, and you know, recently we we won three more national events, so it feels good to be on top for a little bit again. 
and I would imagine it would feel like because you were gone for a while, right? And you said in your Winter Circle interview after the final round at the U.S. Nationals, sponsored by Dodge, Dodge Power Brokers, U.S. Nationals, you ran a guy who uh, is is an arch rival in many ways, Stanfield. You're both running Chevys, and he's been running so well, and you caught him and passed him and won the U.S. Nationals. It was a huge moment for you as a driver because he's a great driver, but also as an engine builder. And to me, that emotion came through in your interview. Talk a little bit about having to rally back, right? You were in the lead, performance-wise, got surpassed a little bit, and then rallied back and have now taken back the performance lead, which is amazing. I don't even know if we took back the lead. It's just we just did better on race day. I mean, it, we kind of go back and forth, you know, just when I think I pick up a lot, he's right there again, you know? So it's, it's nice having that competition and uh, we try to keep it friendly, you know, we're not stabbing each other in the pits or nothing, but it's, uh, I mean, I've lost so many, so many times to Aaron just by a couple thousands. I mean, it's just, or, or like against Skillman in Norwalk, I lost by one thou. It's like, Oh my God, one thousands. Are you kidding me? You, you, you know, so for weeks you're thinking about all the little things you could have done to pick up two foul to, to you know, to, to beat the guy. You know, it's uh, but that that's what it's all about. That's why uh, you know my dad raised me to just keep digging and never give up and work as hard as you can and keep keep trying to find all the little bit of power you can. And that's why we we uh, rely on people like Keith to to you know, keep us up to date with any, any new technology and try new and better, different ways of doing, doing stuff. So. Ray, that work ethic David's talking about, we hear a lot of it. You can't, you know, there's no real like lazy drag racers, certainly not engine builders. You have to love what you do and you got to do it, you know, all the time, all the way. Uh, where did, where did you get that to pass it along? Like you mentioned that you lived in Canada and it sounds like you know, we we talked to Warren Johnson once, and he said, growing up in Minnesota, you had to make everything yourself. You had to do everything yourself, and that made you be a hard worker no matter what. What about you? Where where did that work ethic originate? Um, I guess I was just born with it because my dad was not into cars and thought it was pretty stupid to be doing what I was doing for a long time. But um, I started out as a hunting, fishing guide, and couldn't make a lot of money at it and moved to Toronto and uh, I had a Hemi car and it was a little speed shop there, Knob Hill Speed and Custom. And I hung out there and I noticed he had a bay in the back. I said, Hey, can I rent that bay off you and I'll install headers and carburetors and stuff like that. And that's, that's how I started out. I never, I never worked in an engine shop in my whole life. I never worked in a machine shop just read a lot of books and figured out how to do stuff and figured out which guys were telling me bullshit and met a few real good guys that told me what I really needed to know and just, just keep working. Wow. Those, those guys who told you that earned your trust that told you what you needed to know, were they like racers around the area who were winning races or were they just good guys? Like, how does that work out? Um, one guy that definitely I looked up to was Ted Spihar, who, you know, he used to own the missile cars and stuff. And I used to drive down at a, to his shop in Detroit once a month and buy parts off him. And he would always steer me in the right direction. There was other guys at Mopar who would purposely send you, send you down the, 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 the you know, the wrong road. But, um, but Ted was always, he was the guy I always looked up to and, and uh, I could figure stuff out myself. I knew when people were telling you bullshit or would. I tried so many things because I, I used to build road race engines, Alfa Romeos, uh, older Ferraris, um, all kinds of stuff like that. I used to build outboard engines that people raced, and we were really good in that. And Grand Prix hydros, and I did. I've done a lot of Bonneville stuff. Just, just any kind of engine you learn from everything that you work on you learn something so keith jump in here with a question well yeah ray i mean I, so that's you and i've talked about that but what about your early racing days i mean bracket race stock super stock 
you know, what, you know, besides never, all the work, really what, were your, what were your races? I never really raced. I had a, a, I had a Hemi lightweight car, but I never, I never had any money to, to go anywhere other than the lo- local track. I was always buying machinery and buying more machinery. And my, me and my wife ate a lot of spaghetti and <laughs> beans and stuff like that for a lot of years to buy all that equipment. I mean, I bought my CK10 when I was like 22 years old, but I, I realized at the time, after reading a lot of books, that all recommended if the machine shop you go to doesn't have a CK10, find another machine shop. So I was about 22 years old, and son and financed me, and I got a son and CK10. I never owned a block in my life when that thing showed up, but we figured it out. And I still have that machine to this day. Wow! Almost every engine, almost every engine I've ever built in my whole life, was honed in that machine up until recently when we got our Rottler machine. So, yeah, and it still uh, runs good. It's, it's funny when I was there, you and I talked about that because that machine looks as good today, uh, maybe not as good, but I'd say nine tenths of the way there as the day you bought it. If I remember, you got the line hood attachment. Remember, we were talking about different equipment yeah. in the shop and it's like what machine in your shop that you bought what what year did you buy that with 72 yeah something like that yeah it's still worth every yeah. bit today as it was when you bought it brand new and you think about how much how many blocks that thing's home over all those years and she's still going strong it says a lot oh yeah i know we've done well over 2000 engines and back then i was doing engines for sears for their delivery trucks i was doing stuff for Avis Rent-A-Car and Tilden, like whatever it took to make those payments so I could keep the machines. I wasn't I wasn't building race hemis. I was building anything that walked in the door. So I don't know the machine's been good. Amazing. Yep. Amazing. So let, let me ask you about Keith, guys, uh, Ray and David. You know, Keith is obviously, you know, talkative, gregarious, knowledgeable character. The change from what it was to what it is involving ring seal narrower. He mentioned coatings. He mentioned all that, but that over the last 15 years, would you say is like really when that became a thing and they're getting narrower and narrower and narrower and, and just all these elements that are making for good ring seal uh, nowadays, were you on board initially? Did Keith like, Hey guys, I got a crazy idea. And how much of the power we see these days comes from that area in the engine well quite a bit of it when you're trying to run run stuff up to 10,000 rpm and still seal the engine and the biggest thing in my whole life is always reduce friction it's just free horsepower where can i reduce friction and there's a ton of it in the rings that's for sure if the blocks hold right and learn learn a lot from keith can't say really anybody else taught me too much about. I was just a tow or a speed pro guy for probably thirty years. To, but you know, Keith. Well, no, and I appreciate that. Again, it's a great part of working with the Bartons, and and you know, again, always trying to make it better and working on you know honing ideas. And like Ray mentioned, you know has the new rottler you know so you know we talk about cylinder finish but we're also talking cylinder board geometry you know getting into the machines that can really get the geometry better and that's again the the fun of working with guys like this is they're not stuck in the sand you know like bray said you know speed pro guy for 30 years and they had great stuff i mean they really did and and i'll wave our flag but but we're the guys here trying to push the technology and uh you know they're receptive to it and and some guys out there are and some guys aren't and, and fortunately, they, they are, and the question is always, well, what more can we do? Yeah, we got that, and this is great, and we took it to this notch, but what more can we do? And that's what, you know, that's what drives us. That's what drives me. What more can we do? That's a lot of times you have to circle back to things, too, because you could try a certain ring, and it might not work, but it's because your piston's a piece of junk or something, too. So you got to, you know, piss away six or eight months or even a year redesigning other things and then come back to it to to reap the benefits so it's just an ongoing cycle yeah oh and, and, and what david just said is 100 percent true let's you know let's say we do a really cool ring but like david just said maybe the piston wasn't any good or you know the cylinder was out around or something weird was going on with the oil that day 
and it you know invalidates the testing. And as you stated, you gotta you gotta circle back because things are constantly evolving, and that's the truth with everything. Yeah, I mean, you know what happens? You know what you did with a certain camshaft or certain you know EFI tune-up, and then all of a sudden something else changes. You, you've got to constantly be checking and testing and retesting. You know, one thing that really seems to be changing all the time is all the different oils all the time. I won't say any brands. Yeah, it's crazy. Every time they get sold to somebody else, everything changes. Except the label. (laughs) You know, and that's where Lake Speed, our other co-host, comes into play because he is a world-renowned tribologist and oil development guy. And he's probably laughing out there right now because um, my head spins when he starts talking oil because of exactly that, Ray. That it is just, uh, you know, a rapid fire. Yeah, he used to come to shop here all the time, really, really helpful guy, very smart guy. Yeah, amazing. And, and he is, but like you just said, Ray, and it, it's it's literally every time something new comes in, another company comes in, you know, a different supplier comes in, you know, again, you know, Lake likes to call it that, you know, that soup. And next thing you know, your soup goes completely bad. And, you know, it's because of one piece of change in the chemistry and, and you're, you know, you're back three steps trying to find your way forward again. Yeah, and it, it can cause a whole bunch of other problems that you not, don't even realize at first. Then you start going around in circles and circles. It's all because of a damn oil or something. It's crazy. Yeah. It's part of the game, change. I guess. David, I, I would love for you to uh, share a story, if you got one, about um, what you said, like going down a road and you think this is a good idea, it's going to work, it's, oh, it's not working, oh, it didn't work, except maybe it did in the future. Uh, we've learned on the show that so much is learned from failure. It's one of the things that everybody always says, like, don't be afraid to fail because when you fail, you learn something and then whatever you learn is what gets you to become successful the next time around uh do you, have you found that to be true first of all oh so many times over and over again um i mean well like i said earlier the the rain deal in pistons i mean we had i'm not going to throw anyone under the bus but we're using certain kind of pistons out there for so many years and then all of a sudden 2020 came and everyone knows how how much of a you know, how it turned the, the whole world upside down there. And next thing you know, the quality just seemed like it went to hell or, or maybe we're just making a lot more power and trying to get more out of them. But for whatever reason, our pistons were just collapsing. And I mean, they weren't melting into a blot or nothing, but with the tight tolerances that we run on everything, started pinching the rings and the wrist pins are starting to grab and starting to booger up everything. And some pistons would last five races and some would last one run before it would be a problem. So we chased our tails for a couple of years there, just going around and around with that stuff. And uh, so we hooked up with some some other people and engineers and stuff that know way more about the stuff than we do and helped us design it. And, you know, we just uh, try to, you know, again, just keep improving all the parts. So once we got that solved, then we move on to the next story, you know, and just... Uh, you know, just keep bouncing around, cylinder heads, camshaft, uh, you know, pistons, rings, everything just keeps going in, in cycles. So, you know, once you make something like 80% of what you think it could be, you move on to the next thing and then get the most out of that and just keep going around. I'm sure any drag racer does the same, not just us. Yeah. No, I, I think that's amazing. And, and Ray, obviously, it's with the Hemi, whether we're talking about the Showdown engine or we're talking about the Hemis, they were not designed to do what they do, though. And that's what's amazing when we get that Dodge Hemi Challenge, just had it out there in Indy. How on earth do these things even do, do that? You know, eight, low eight-second ETs from a, an architecture that I'm sure didn't think it would ever do that. Well, I know myself for many years, I used to read all the Mopar uh, manuals and everything they used to print, and everybody used to say that stuff's written in stone. Well, finally one day I threw all that stuff in the dumpster and 
that's when I started to go fast. Otherwise, you're just stuck doing what everybody else is doing. And I come to realize a lot of the stuff that was written, time just left out in the dust. You know, it was written in stone at one time, but, and uh, I used to joke like Mr. Hoover used to come down to my shop and he used to look at things and I'd show him stuff. He'd go, Ray, you're making my head hurt. Well, I never got those memos. Otherwise, I'd still be doing it like you're telling me I should be doing it, and I'd be five times slower. <laughs> wow. Just got to just gotta march on, and you can't believe everything that's that you read. I mean, you just can't. Keith, jump in with a question here. Yeah, and I and, well, a question and a comment, and I, and I agree with what Ray says. There's a lot of great books out there. Uh, but they're not all necessarily written in stone. There's things that I deal with every day uh, that comes from certain books and certain manuals and people trying to achieve, you know, certain things. And, and I'll, I'll, I'll quote Warren. One of the things that I deal with every day is, you know, connecting rod lengths and people, you know, putting such a long rod in an engine that it's completely compromised the ring pack and the ring location on the piston to the point yeah, you know, I have people, you know, they've got the second ring, you know, they've got the wrist pin up into the second ring group. They put it up so far because they need this theoretical ratio. And, you know, in the words of Warren Johnson is, you know, you build the piston and rod from the top down, not the bottom up. You figure out where the rings need to be on the piston. Once you've got that, then you figure out how much rod goes in it, not the other way around. And, you know, again, quoting Warren, and from my position, words to live by, that's the gospel, because, we, we deal with so many ring seal issues that are not a ring problem. They're a rod length problem. So that's, you know, you say a question comment with Ray is, you know, throwing that stuff out, you know, looking at it and logicking it out. Uh, it certainly seems to have done you well. I don't know if that's a question or more of a statement. <laughs> yeah, I think that motor is pretty well maxed out. I mean, we, we ran 821 geez, back in 2010. Did it quite a few times, and Charlie did it a few times back then, too. But not not much has happened, I'd say, in the last ten years. I I don't really work on those engines anymore. I I keep Jim Daniels and Gary and Mike Booker and a couple of guys running, but I haven't built a new motor in in years. I, I physically can't lift up the heads anymore. <laughs> uh, I, I I just I just can't build an engine by myself, so. Um, I still have a lot of interest, but I have a lot of interest in this Copo stuff. Mechanically, I can't do any of the stuff that David can do. If it wasn't for David, we'd still be, we'd have a carburetor on it or something. But that's just the next generation coming along, you know, so. Yeah, what about that, Ray? Let me ask you, you know, as a, as a, I would imagine the proud dad, right? Like your kid could have gone off and done something else. Could have been a yep. stockbroker or uh, whatever, yep. you know, who knows. Um, but he followed you and is carrying the torch in a very strong way. And he goes out and wins the U.S. Nationals in, uh, in the car and kind of takes on. He's got a whole crop of guys tuning their cars, thinking about uh, Anthony Troyer, just like so many cars that are under your banner. And that's your, that's your son who followed you. Um, I bet that's, that's got to be a great feeling. Yeah, for sure. I know some of the shootouts out of 16 cars, eight of them were out of our shop. They don't all have our, our name on them, but no, it, it's it's pretty exciting. And everybody in the shop is pumped up about it, and I'm super proud about it. I mean, I, I know nothing about electronics. I just I just got rid of my, cell phone, my flip phone about a month ago. So. Oh, really? What'd you get? Yeah. What'd you get to replace it? I don't know. You'd have to ask David. David, what did he get? Samsung or something? <laughs> it was like the cheapest one they had. It was, I don't know, it was like a couple hundred bucks, and that was it. I, I didn't know you could even buy one so cheap. Uh, <laughs> yeah, next but thing, he'll be finding, he'll be, he'll be on the internet real soon, finding all the great stuff that's on there. No, but I, no I, it just has to go ring, ring, and I say hello. That's it. <laughs> No, but I, I definitely want to mention too. I mean, uh, you know, obviously it's not just my dad and I doing all this stuff. We have a good crew of guys here at the shop. There's like eight of us in the back here working on stuff every day, and 
it's a big team effort. You know, you can't do it without some smart people and and people showing up for work every day. So, you know, I gotta thank those guys a lot for keeping the ball rolling every day while we're out there having fun, you know, on race day. Any of the guys that race with you are, are also shop guys? Like, I think of Todd Hoven. There's a guy I know that races and races your stuff and all. But, like, um, any of your shop guys also race with you? Nope. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Uh, they're, they're involved in their own deals with their friends or family or whatever, but uh, not, not with NHRA stuff, no. That's interesting. I find that to be interesting. It's kind of a good policy yeah. to have. Uh, in in years past, I had employees that were at the races too much and talking about stuff they shouldn't be talking about. It's just, it's just not a good deal. Wow, that it, you know that you say it, Ray. The second you say it, talking about stuff that they shouldn't be talking about. This is what we're doing at the shop. Oh yeah, we found some power in this area. Yeah, guys, go uh, oh, no. fl- fly kites or something else. Don't uh, come to the drag strip. Yeah, like for many years, I never hired a Mopar guy. A guy had come to me, oh, I'd like to work for you. I'm a Mopar. I'd never hire a Mopar guy. He used to steal everything. Wow. I'd hire Chevrolet guys, all he'd steal was oil filters and spark plugs. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys, we're coming down the um, stretch here. Go, go ahead, Ray. You were going to say something else. No, I was going to say it sounds kind of rough, but that's how I was back then. Well, you know, Ray, I've learned that things have softened recently. We've heard the story, Keith and I and Lake and I on this show, back in the day, everybody was very secretive and very cutthroat. You told a story minutes ago about guys that would deliberately tell you the wrong thing to do to send you into the oh, yeah. into the wilderness. Nowadays, yep. because maybe because the sport is smaller or because it's so expensive or because people are kinder, it seems people are more willing to be helpful to each other, sharing secrets or pointing them down the right road or giving them, you know, you don't want to see your competitor blow their stuff up because now they won't be able to race and then you won't have anyone to race it. Do you think that's true? I like to see them blow their stuff up. <laughs> You do. You there? Yeah, I heard you. <laughs> you know what I'm saying. I do, I do. I don't want to see him hit the wall or anything, but if they walk the crank up or something, I'm fine with that. Old school. Sure they're, they're the same with me. They like to see me blow all my shit up, which we don't, but that's that's just how it is. That's why you go. we, we go out there to, to punish people and win races. We don't go there to... to have barbecues and make friends with everybody and have little little parties. We go there to kick ass, sell motors, and that's what sells motors. Yeah, that's just a, just made a promo right there, Ray. Good job. Good job with that. All right, Lake wants me to ask a new question at the tail end of the show, and it's it's this. I'm going to ask you both independently. Um, or you can collab on the on the answer, which is this. Okay, the name of the podcast is Hidden Horsepower. David already used it once. Where do you think the next frontier is in these engines? Uh, Ray, go first. When you think about the system that is the engine, where is the next wave of Hidden Horsepower going to come from? Well, that's up to NHRA, I guess, because I'm sure they're going to keep changing the rules especially with this new AFX stuff. I can't believe the mower is going to be exactly like it is right now, but the only place we can find more power is camshafts and possibly ring seal and a little bit in the heads, but you make close to 1500 horse and you still got to run a 640 lift camshaft because it's a stalker. It's kind of hard to find more power. Um, and there's always more in the car. David's always finding more in transmissions, converters, stuff like that. Yeah, he took the words right out of my mouth. I mean, we're, I mean, it's not directly related to, to the engine, but um, there's so much more in converters and gearing and stuff like that. And we're, we're trying to trying to reinvent the torque converter with, uh, you know, working alongside with Pro Torque and Bonifani and those guys. And we're trying to reinvent that. And I think once we 
get in the zone there, we're we're going to make some big changes there. But it, it's just a just a guess and a and a goal we're trying to achieve. I'm not saying that's going to happen for sure, but I, I think there's a lot left on the table there. Interesting. Within our rule package too. I mean, there's so many things you can do, but we're you know we're so limited with what we're allowed to do. Converter wise, we're not allowed lockups and things like that. You're not allowed dumb fouls, which I think some guys might have anyway. But um, just your traditional converter, you know, I think there's a lot there in harnessing the power. You know, it's one thing to to make the power, but to get it down to the ground properly, efficiently, every single run and keeping the whole car in check. That's a, that's a battle every single run. So I don't know if that answers your question. It does. It does. What about factory X, David? What's your plan? Uh, and I don't know the rules yet either, but my general understanding is it's not going to be stock eliminator. It's factory X. And so that camshaft thing in my mind might go away. I don't know. What do you know? I don't know a whole lot about it. We're kind of kept in the dark on that whole thing, uh, which I was kind of disappointed that we never got a single phone call about any of it. But we're we're very excited about it. We got two two guys that are going all in on it, and uh, you know one car is going to be built before the other, so we're all going to kind of team up and learn together on the first car and just learn everything about it. I mean, we're not really deep chassis type people. You know, we've always been stock super stock type of type of racer so on, on one hand i'm a little disappointed that you know they didn't keep it more stock super stock and keep the cars a little more original um, i'm not super excited about it being like basically a pro stock car um, i'm not saying that's not cool but from where i came from it would have been much more cooler to take what we had and just lighten them up and put a five speed in it i, don't, I still don't understand why they didn't go that direction other than them trying to attract more pro stock guys and into it you know the guys that are doing it week after week um you know that that's just just my guess on it. i don't know why they did what they did but anyway yeah we're, we're super excited to get into it i mean it's uh definitely a, a new adventure to get into and you know like i said we got two guys that are that are going all in on it and we'll see where it goes um i i, I hope they don't blow the you know the whole engine combo out of the water and just completely change everything and end up back where we you know where, where pro stock is today you know i hope they still keep the the rule package nice and tight and uh, stay on top of it excellent well we're all very excited i hope we recapture that energy you were describing earlier in 2017 factory showdown keith final question for david and ray barton well, you you pretty much stole it from me because it was going to be about the factory experimental cars because I, I think they're pretty exciting. I, I understand David's point, uh, but I've always, you know, I'm kind of old school and I've always been that, you know, uh, win on Sunday, sell on Monday and having a car that, you know, looks like the car you can buy on the showroom floor, uh, but yet it'll run, you know, in the sixes, I think is pretty exciting. Uh, so I'm I'm looking forward to them, but that was actually going to be my question. So you, that, that one got past me. So just uh, just want to thank everybody for being here and, and, and taking the time of their day to do this show because we really enjoy it. Okay, I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. <clears throat> okay, guys, uh, a tremendous job. I really appreciate both of you coming on and sharing some stories. And David and Ray, to you both, I know, like, by the time this is going to air right away, right? So you got to go to Dallas, the Stampede of Speed. To anybody out there who's near the Texas Motorplex, that's where the final race of the year is going to be for this category that we're talking about, Constant Aviation Factory Stock Showdown in the NHRA. David has got to figure out how to get to the race, and he's got to figure out how to get to the starting line and stage up. We know racing is complex, and there's all kinds of stuff. We wish you the best of luck with all of that, David. Um, but assuming you're able to do that, how meaningful is this season going to be when you look back at what you've accomplished? Uh, boy, it, it means a lot because, uh, you know, we've had our teeth kicked in enough, you know, in the past uh, how many years since since I won last in 2017. And it, it means a lot that uh, all of our customers and our guys in the shop here, everyone worked so hard to just pull it all together. And we, we all had the same goal in mind and, we just kept pushing and pushing and pushing and to, to finally 
be number one again. It's just, uh, it's unbelievable. I mean, it, it feels really good and, you know, mission accomplished, you know. it's uh, we're, we're almost there. We're 99.9% there. So <laughs> going to try not to mess that up. Yeah. Well, uh, exactly. I mean, in, in, in a lot of people, you know, I, I hear stuff on the internet or, or see things, people write a lot of negative stuff. Um, but we, we've had five different customers, well, five including myself, five different drivers out of our shop this year in the finals. And we've had a car in every single final this year. And I don't know if everyone realizes that, but man, that, that's a lot of work to, to get that many fast cars out there. You know, we, we bring eight to every single event. That's uh, it, it takes a whole community of people to accomplish that. So. No, I I got to tell you, yeah. I don't even I don't even know that. You know, I'm thinking. You know, you won the U.S. Nationals this year. Jesse won last year or a couple of years ago, uh, last year. Um, you guys roll deep in the pits, and swinging an engine on one of those things is not easy. It is a lot of work. And I think about Lenny Lodig, who made the final round against your other customer, Anthony Troyer, at the U at the Gator Nationals this year. And right down through, you have had a a car in the final at every race all year long. That is an amazing, amazing stat. Uh, you should be very proud. I got to thank my wife too. Cause she's going to beat me up if I don't thank her. Cause she does, <laughs> she does so much for us uh, all year long. I mean, I, I can't even explain how much she's done, you know, uh, before, during and after every single event. And she works here at the shop too. So. All right. Final question. I, I always ask this. I always ask this, and you, Ray or David, you guys can answer or you cannot answer. You, but I, I like to imagine that there's a young twenty-year-old out there who wants to, who's discovering that he likes mechanical things and wants to get into the engine building trade. I, I they're searching for podcasts, and they've actually come up to us at PRI. So we always ask about advice for the next generation. Like, what would you tell that kid? Like, how would what should he do to get ahead? What's the best way to navigate this world out there for the someone that's interested to eventually, you know, follow in your footsteps, maybe let's start out with, uh, David and then go to Ray. Well, that's a tough question there. Um, what, what do you tell someone? I, I, I feel like, uh, there's nothing like doing a hands-on experience. You know, if they, if they want to get involved, they gotta, you know, uh, try to join someone's team like ours or Stanfield or, or any other race team out there to look up at the right people to get the, the right knowledge, you know, to stay up to date with what's going on. I don't think there's any school out there that can, uh, I mean, they could show you the basics, but just to, to think how to, how to make the right decisions at the right time with what you're working on. You, you got to hook up with the best of the best out there if you really want to be somebody. Ray, what about you? Well, same thing. I mean, you're not going to go anywhere in life if you're just working at a place that's building taxi motors. You're just going to die there. you got to try to get involved somewhere, or even if you go work for John Force or somebody, but you got to get you got to get in the door somewhere. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, I think every single guy that works for me basically – when they walked in the door, they didn't really know much of anything. And they've learned everything that they know working here, which is which is good. You, you, you can't learn it out of school, that's for sure. Um, yeah, that's all the input I got. But anybody, any young kid that walks in and looks like the lights are on upstairs, at least we'll give them a give them a shot. The lights are on. <laughs> I know what you mean. The best advice my dad ever gave me was, if you want to be a loser, hang out with losers. If you want to be a millionaire, go hang out with millionaires. And uh, there, there's a lot to be said to that. You know, it's, uh, there's so much truth behind that. There is so much truth behind that. And we'll end at that point. David and Ray Barton, gentlemen, thank you for your time. I appreciate it. Uh, David, what you do on the racetrack, it's amazing to watch. I know the guys that you battle every week. They are very impressive people. And what you and your whole team have done this year, I think everybody is in unison. They they are impressed by it as well. Ray, what you guys have done with the Hemis and over the years and just have had great success in stock and super stock, a huge 
commitment to drag racing. Thank you for what you've done. And I know you guys don't do a lot of these things. I know this isn't your deal. I think you did a great job, and I really appreciate you coming on Hidden Horsepower. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Ray. Thanks for calling. David, thank you so much. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate it. Really appreciate it. And there they go, David and Ray Barton from Ray Barton Racing Engines. Keith, how great was that? Oh, that was awesome. And I'll thank you, Joe, because you got David on, and then David got his dad on. I've been trying to get those guys on for the longest time. And, you know, you know how it is. It's trying to get, you know, everything, all the locks lined up at the same time. And let me thank you for your efforts. And it was everything I expected. Words of wisdom and words to live by. Yes. You are the, you are the company you keep. Wow. How about that? You want to be a loser, hang out with losers. You want to be a millionaire, hang out with millionaires. It's hard. It's very, if the millionaires will let you hang out with them. Right. Yeah. Uh, if, if they will. If they will, which is but, part but of like it. like said, you know, the, you got to have the attitude. You got the aptitude. You want to do this. You got to go in and work. And, and, you know, and he mentioned go and work at forces. Hey, I'll say this in India, I got to go to John's shop and Sam gave us the tour, showed us the place, man, what a shop, what an outstanding place. I'd be proud to work at a place like that. Awesome facility. Just like Ray's Ray's got an old Pontiac dealership in Pennsylvania. What a gorgeous place. And what a great team of people. Like you said, it takes a community to do what they do. Amazing. Just amazing. And again, uh, dancing around the championship because he's just got to show up at the race and uh, to not make it to show up to the Stampede of Speed at the Texas Motorplex in the Fall Nationals would mean like some, you know, I don't know. So obviously we'll wait to crown him the champ when he earns the championship. But what he has done to this point this season has been amazing to pass the knowledge from the dad working on Hemis to the son working on supercharged small blocks and to go out and be champions regardless. Amazing stuff. And Keith, some good questions there. Ring seal, right? Part of it. And uh, it always seems to be the key. And how about that? Mentioning the Rottler also. Oh, yeah, absolutely. They, they've got that machine in the shop working well. Uh they, you know, initially a little learning curve, like any new piece of equipment, but it's rocking and rolling and, you know, playing with ring stuff. I mean, they were testing ring stuff last week. I can tell you that. That's all I can tell you. Uh, but they were testing stuff just last week. So I'm always trying to push this thing forward. Uh, again, the relentlessness, you know, David talked about converters. Uh, you know, I asked Ray, you know, earlier this year, you know, where do you think it is? What's the next thing you guys are working on? It is converters. I mean, they are they're wearing those hub dynos out. He said, man, we can make all the power on the dyno. We can, but if it doesn't make it to the rear wheels, the way we think it's making it to the rear wheels, it's not getting down the racetrack. And again, it's just one more piece in the puzzle that they're working on and they're relentless about it. Yes. All right. So if anybody out there wants to get a hold of you, wants to figure out how to unlock their hidden horsepower, what should they do? Uh, just, you know, get a hold of me. Uh, Keith J at totalseal.com. Uh, we've got the website, totalseal.com. Call us on the toll-free 800-874-2753. Any way you can figure out to get a hold of us, we will get back to you. I will get back to you. We'll answer any question we can for you. And make them your first call, not your last. Heath Keith Jones, the Director of Technical Sales at Total Seal Piston Rings. My name's Joe Costello. I'm one of the NHRA announcers, but I also do a podcast called WFO Radio, where we interview a whole lot of drag racers. You guys might like that, too, if you like this. But stick around. Don't forget to rate and review the podcast because more episodes are coming. Plus, we'll be at PRI. All kinds of great stuff coming. As the racing season winds down, a lot of things start winding up. And that is true with Hidden Horsepower. All right, guys, that's going to do it. We'll see you next time on Hidden Horsepower presented by Total Seal.